Today our topic is the Puritans and the Bible. If you have, hopefully you have a handout, should look like this, without answers in it. I actually gave you blanks, so you can, you need to pay attention so you can fill them out. And uh, if you don't have one, Timothy has some. So raise your hand, he'll get that to you. Uh, This is our, like I said, our third week, and this begins our, our, we're not cooperating together, my attempt (laughs) uh, to kind of go through some specific topics and the Puritan view on those things, and this is the first of those. Um, A lot of times when you pick up a systematic theology book, the first thing they talk about is the doctrine of God's Word, so I figured we'd talk about the Puritans and uh, their view and uh, some of the theology behind their view of the Bible and God's Word, which will be biblical, so this is not outside of the Bible, obviously. Um, So just to give you a little recap of where we've been, if you haven't been, so the last two weeks have really been a historical survey. Uh, We spent the most of the first week uh, talking about the English Reformation, so kind of setting the context of the Puritans in the environment of the 1500s going into the 1600s. And then last week we kind of concluded that survey talking about uh, the Church of England and the Puritans within the reigns of the different monarchs in the 1600s. So we kind of look at the Puritan era from 1550 to around 1680, 1660, 1700 in England. So if you just want to have an idea of what time of history we're talking about. This is the era. Uh, there's, there's radical debates about when the time of the Puritans ends, and it could be we're focusing primarily on England. So, uh, like I said, you guys that are fans of Jonathan Edwards, I'm not even going to talk about him. So, obviously, there's a New England aspect of the Puritan movement as well that I'm not focusing on, just because I had to narrow my uh, focus a little bit more than the entire world, and the history of the world. Um, So we talked about the Puritans and their desire to reform the Church of England into a more biblical church, and we kind of focused on the formality of that last week, that through, as each of these different rulers come on the throne in England, they have a different idea behind having a uniform worship within the Church of England, and uh, the Puritans are trying to get a more biblical view of a biblical slant of the worship of the Church of England, where um, that's kind of what the, their main goal was. Yet, there's a personal aspect in a, an actual church-wide movement within the Puritans as well. It's not just a movement. It's not a movement like a, that you can identify easily either, but it's, it's, a, it's a group of people that are trying to make changes to the church. And it's not just in the formal practices of the church, but they're also trying to reform preaching and reform local congregations by how they actually are doing church and preaching and teaching and using the Bible as a guide. So that's, that's kind of the, that's where we are. Um, their true success wasn't at the broader Church of England level, but in the local parishes and local churches. Um, so today our topic is the Puritans and the Bible. Uh, in the coming weeks, weeks, we're going to talk about the Puritans and the gospel, uh, the Puritans and preaching, and then the Puritans and the Christian life. I have two main topics to cover today that we'll get to, and I was hoping to have a third. So let me just 
tell you and confess what I didn't get to today. So you can see on your handout, we're going to talk about John Owen and his view on communication from God. And then we're also going to talk about uh, the Puritans as interpreters of Scripture. I also wanted to talk about uh, the Puritans and the idea of conscience. Um, That's a very Puritan idea and a view uh, that, that is very important to them. And I think we're going to dive into that when I talk about the Puritans and the Christian life. There's, there's reasons to tie it into the Bible, but I just didn't have enough time this week to do that, okay? Or we didn't have enough time to talk about it. So that's where we are today and where we're going. Um, let's read, if you could turn your Bible, please, to Psalm 19. So we have two things going on in Psalm 19. One is two types of revelation. One is general revelation, that is um, verses um, 1 through 6, but we're going to read starting in verse 7 to conclude the chapter, and this is the special revelation of the Lord according to David by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read this and then I'll pray. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And God, we come before you, and Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, would be pleasing to you. So, Lord, I pray as we look to um, the Puritans and their view of your scriptures, Lord, that we would see um, you as exalted and that we would worship you more. Lord, I pray that we would have a greater understanding about how you work through your spirit and your word, Lord, to change people and to sustain us and to sanctify us. So, Lord, I pray that our understanding would grow, and that would cause us, Lord, to be um, changed people. Lord, we love you, and we praise you for the work that you've done through Jesus in our lives uh, to save us, to redeem us, and to set us apart. So, Lord, I ask that that would be also part of our focus this morning. May we worship you as we listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I started my introduction haphazardly. Um, But one thing I want to point out about the Puritans and the idea of Puritanism is it was primarily a Bible-based movement. So one of the chief concerns that the Puritans have is study of the Bible and what does the Bible say and explaining that to their parishioners. So for the most part, the Puritans as a people and the leaders you think of as Puritans are pastors and they're preachers, and their main emphasis is explaining God's Word to His people. Okay, so that's 
yeah, okay, Matt, that's really, really basic. It's a basic thing, right? But we're, remember, we've we got to remember the setting that we're in in the 1500s and 1600s. We're coming out of an age where the, the church was cloaked in darkness, in Latin masses that people didn't understand, uh, people were not necessarily literate, and then also people didn't have God's Word in their own language. So this is the next step, right? So let's first get the Bible into the language of the people, and let's begin theologizing appropriately about God's Word. That's, that's priority. But then the next level is, hey, let's start practicing these things. Let's start preaching these things. And that's what the Puritans are in England. They're the next level. And as we've talked about, the Puritans were heavily influenced when I say the continent, so you know, England's a little island, the continent is main, um, the main part of Europe, heavily influenced on the continent by John Calvin and his followers in Geneva. And they have come back to England at various times, perhaps, and are uh, committed to being preachers of God's Word. Um, they believed that reverence for God's Word, we're still in the introduction here on your handout, uh, that they, they had an appropriate reverence for God's word and felt that obedience to it uh, were the hallmarks of the Christian faith. They believed that the Bible is the utterance of God. These are the words of God, words that God has spoken, expressing both or several things, eternal truth. It was a unified expression of God's single divine mind, and it's a complete coherent revelation of God's will. And these are not just words, according to the Puritans, that were at one time given by God, but they continue to speak to his people throughout all ages and all history. Um, so that's important. Uh, Thomas Watson says when you read the Bible, think in every line you read that God is speaking to you. So these are the very words of God that we have in our Bible. And it's a big, big deal. Um, first... Uh, the th oh, I think I deleted this. I deleted this in mine, but it's in yours. Part B, under two. Oh, no, no, we're going to get to it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. So the first thing we're going to talk about is John Owen's view on the communication from God. I have listed for you several resources from Owen. If, so there's a revival of Puritan studies in the 1900s uh, by the Banner of Truth. Banner of Trust? Banner of Truth. Trust. That's right. Anyway, in about 1948 to 50, they started reproducing and publishing again Puritan works. And for the most part, the Puritan works have really short titles, but the original ones have really long titles, and I just love them. So I spelled them out for you so you didn't have to just listen to me and you could actually read along with me. But several of Owen's works were important to his understanding of how God communicates with man. And here are several of them, and I put them here for you. And I like the spelling of some of these things, too. Of the divine original, authority, self-evidencing light, and power of the Scriptures, comma, with an answer to the inquiry, how we know the Scriptures to be the Word of God. That's one title of one work for him. And then his shortest title is Pneumatologia. Can I say that again? Pneumatologia. A Discourse Concerning the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, the reason of faith, or an answer to the inquiry, wherefore we believe the Scriptures to be the Word of God, with the cause and nature of that faith, wherewith we do so. It's just great. I love that. 
I think we should all talk like this. <laughs> and then fourthly, and the longest, causes, ways, and means of understanding the mind of God as revealed in His Word with assurance therein and a declaration of the per- perspicuity of the Scriptures with the external means of the interpretation of them. So these are John Owen's works. Okay, like I said, for the most part, the writers that you're familiar with that are Puritans are pastors and preachers. Uh, Owen serves that capacity some, but he's also the most, um, I don't know if popular is the word, the most well-known theologian of the Puritan movement. Um, We're going to spend a whole lot of time on him because I'm going to do a biography, and I I really am excited about that, so I'm not going to play my hand right now about that. However, he is a theologian, but most of the guys you're reading are actually pastors and they're preachers. Uh, Owen spends a significant amount of time in theology and writing, obviously, and writing really long titles to answer his questions. But his views on the Bible provide the theological foundation for what many of the Puritans believe about the Bible and much of what we believe as well. He's not, like, creating new theology. I don't want to give you that idea. He's just using the Bible to explain uh, different aspects of theology. His works, because he's obviously writing and teaching in a certain context as well. So the, the, the context that he's in isn't the same context we're in. That's important to realize. So if, if, if one of the things that is kind of at the forefront in the last 20 to 40 years of evangelicalism Something like inerrancy, right? So is the Bible inerrant? Is it true in everything that it says? Um, that's not a question he's really dealing with. That's, a, that's a, it's more of a modern question, right? And this is, uh, the, the Puritans for the most part are pre-modern age individuals. So it's just a little bit different. You've got you to think about that. Put yourself in the Puritans' shoes and think about what they're concerned about. Two things they're worried about uh, that he's trying to refute is a Roman Catholic view of the Bible. That's your first blank. So his works outline opposition to the Roman Catholic view of the Bible. And within that, there's two things he's specifically concerned about. And one is that the Bible must be authenticated by the church. So you're like, hey, shouldn't the, Bible, shouldn't the church give, say that? Well, no, the, the scriptures themselves are authoritative, Right? Um, They don't get their authority from an outside source like the church. The church doesn't apply the authority of the Bible onto the books of the Bible. It speaks to all manners of life on its own, and it is authoritative. It doesn't need the church to say that. So when you have the opposite view, and you have the Roman Catholic view, potentially, you would see uh, the authority structure of the church and the authority is structure in the Word of God as competing. In some cases, the church is over the Word of God. The papacy might be over the Word of God. Um, so when you say that the church gives authority to the books of the Bible, the church is high, the higher authority. So he's trying to refute that. He's opposed to that view. Maybe make that clear. So am I. And I'm guessing most of you are too. Um, and the second thing he's trying to refute is the view that the Bible is not for ordinary Christians to interpret. All right, so this is the idea that the church, the Roman Catholic Church, has the view, has the ability 
to interpret God's Word for the people. But God has actually allowed and revealed Himself in His Word, and He's revealed Himself to people individually, not just the church hierarchy. Okay? All right, so those are two things that um, Owen is concerned about. Um, Owen also has an understanding um, of man's uh, sinfulness and his hardness of heart and his blindness towards the things of God too. So he sees and he's outlining in his theology the necessity of both the Spirit and the Word. So God uses the Spirit and the Word to help us understand God in the world of spiritual reality. So that's your next blank, C. God uses the Spirit and the Word. So how does God accomplish this? All right, so this is, we have five points on this. And I will give you the subheadings as we go along. So be listening for that, and then I've given you spaces to take some notes here. Um, So God is using both the Spirit and the Word uh, to reveal Himself to people. And it is the Spirit in the Word, and it's the, the Word through the Spirit. You know what I mean by that. Um, So the first point is he gives revelations. So how does he accomplish this? Number one, by the giving of revelations. Um, So at a point in time in history, God revealed his word to prophets by the power of the Spirit, who is the author of all of his divine revelations. So God, through the Spirit, gave prophets or the apostles... um, the actual words of God, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, And then God has granted access to those revelations to believers. Um, In this, Owen states that these revelations ceased, so God isn't granting any new revelation, at the close of the canon. So when the last book of the Bible was written, There's no new revelation from God. So, this is Owen's belief about the closing of the canon and God speaking. So, God is speaking through the Bible. There were actually people of that day who didn't agree with that, right? And there's people today that don't agree with that, and perhaps even you don't. But the Quakers, you guys remember the Quakers, founders of the Pennsylvania colony, William Penn, he's a Quaker, religious freedom. Um, But they wanted religious freedom away from the Puritans of New England because they had a view that God was still revealing things, new truth through them. Um, And Owen disagreed with that and placed a high value on the Scriptures. He would say this about the Quakers. So if the Quakers are saying they're receiving new additional revelation from God outside of the Scriptures, he would say that if they agreed, if the revelation they received agreed with Scripture, it was needless because we already had the Scriptures. And if if it disagreed with Scripture, then it was false. So it definitely wasn't from God. So that was his view of the Quakers. Um, That's the extent of my knowledge of the Quakers. So don't ask me what else the Quakers believed. Um, 
I just cheated because I just went to America, and I told you I wasn't going to talk about America, but I did. So God, how does God accomplish using the Spirit and the Word? First, He gives revelation. So there's a point in time that God reveals His Scriptures. And He also, the second point, is it's the inspiring of the Scriptures. Owen says that inspiration is the inbreathing of the Holy Spirit, whereby revelations are given, received, and transmitted, both orally and in writing. So that is his definition, definition of inspiration. Um, Owen holds to the Spirit being so at work in the inspiration of God, or in the writing of God's Word. Um, he would even say the authors are passive, meaning that they are not the originators. So that's not saying the human authors didn't have any influence in the Scriptures, because obviously they took um, some of the characteristics of the writers. Um, but he would say they are passive, um, that they are not the originators. We would agree with that. And that they are being acted upon by the Spirit. Or as Peter says in Second Peter, they were moved by the Spirit to write God's Word. Um, in the inspiration of the Scriptures, there was a complete divine initiative and control. Um, however, the human personalities and characteristics were maintained. Okay, there's some long quotes in here, and I didn't want to type them out. So, I have to read them to you, but it's for your benefit, I promise. Um, uh, Owen says this regarding inspiration and the use of men in inspiring Scripture, he says, The Holy Ghost, in His work on the minds of men, doth not put a force upon them, nor acts them any otherwise than they are in their own natures, and with their present endowments and qualifications meet to be used and acted. The words, therefore, which He suggests unto them are such as they are accustomed unto. So these are the words that men would use. And he causes them to make use of such expressions as were familiar, familiar unto themselves. We may also grant and do that they use their own abilities of mind and understanding in the choice of words and expressions. So the preacher sought to find out acceptable words. But the Holy Spirit, who is more intimate unto the minds and skills of men than they are themselves, did so guide, act, and operate in them as that the as that the words they fixed upon were as directly and certainly from him, as if they had been spoken to them by an audible voice. So, in the writing and the inspiration of the Scriptures, the human voice plays a role, but ultimately it's God's Word through His Spirit. So, we're building a foundation here that uh, God is working uh, through His Word and the Spirit um, to orchestrate how he communicates with people. Um, uh, he believed the inspiration of the Bible was both verbal and substantial. Uh, the Scriptures are God's contemporary utterance to every generation. So this is how God has chosen to reveal himself for all time at this point. Um, it's divine. His communication through the Word is divine, supernatural, and infallible. And proper grounds for faith is the biblical witness, not the church's witness. So if the church is saying one thing and the Bible says something else, go with the Bible. Um, 
what is true about Jesus when someone believes in Jesus is what is written in the Scriptures. So, as I tried to say this, I tried to say this to yesterday to Emily, and I was like, hey, what does this sound like? And I'm trying to remember what I said. <laughs> um, but faith that we have in Christ is the faith, is Christ of the Bible, as He's revealed Himself to us. So, what we know about Jesus, so we can't just say, I believe in Jesus, apart from the Bible. We need the Bible to tell us what is, what about Jesus are we believing in? Okay? So, that, that might be a message that Owen's talking about for a more modern age, right? Because we're kind of stumbling upon this in evangelicalism as we all believe in Jesus and somehow, but we have an authority, which is the Bible. So, our faith that's rooted in who Christ is, that He existed and He lived and He's recorded in the Scriptures what He's done. Okay? Good. How'd I do? Good? Okay, good. Um, so, you can't have true saving faith apart from what God has revealed of Jesus or Himself in the Bible. All right, third, the authentication of the Scriptures. So, the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit, as author of Scripture, causes His work to be received with divine faith, so it's true faith, by His external and internal witness. Okay, internal witness, that's salvation, right? God takes the heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, um, that the Spirit is working inside of us to cause belief. That's the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is really stressed by the early reformers, especially Calvin. Uh, but Owen put a special emphasis on the external um, witness of the Spirit. Um, and that is that the Old Testament and New Testament, as God's collective revelation, abundantly and uncontrollably manifest themselves to be the Word of God. So, the Holy Spirit um, gives witness to the fact that God's Word is His Word. And how does it do that? Number one, um, so this is all underneath your sub-point of the authentication of the Scripture. Um, the Holy Spirit reveals Scripture as a permanent quality of light. Where the true Scriptures are, darkness is dispelled and it illuminates and it gives evidence to itself. Um, the Scriptures are powerful to produce spiritual effects, and they're addressed personally. He says, the Holy Ghost speaking in and by the Word imparting to it, virtue, power, efficacy, and majesty and authority affords us the witness that our faith is resolved into. So there's a unique, enlightening, and convicting power which the Scriptures come at us in the public testimony of the Spirit given to all. So, God not only changes us, but He enlightens us to understand that His Word is 
revealing about himself. It's not just, this sounds like wrong to say, right? It's not just that he saves us, but he, he builds up faith in us to believe what he's spoken in his word. So that's the external witness that as we're growing in godliness and growing in love of God, his continued revelation to us is in his scriptures. Okay, so that's, that's the witness of, of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures. So God's spirit is still at work in us through the scriptures. So that's the word and the spirit. Um, so that authenticates to us the reality that the scriptures are in fact true, and that's a work of the spirit. That might be all over the place, but hopefully you get some of that. Read Owen, not, not Matt. Fourth point, uh, the establishing of faith in the scriptures. So that's on the second page, the top, little Roman numeral four. So the Spirit uses the internal witness um, to recognize and res- of the internal witness um, that he does to accomplish in a man's heart to recognize and receive the external witness about the Bible, whereby man's spiritual or natural spiritual blindness is removed, the veil is taken from the eyes of his heart, his pride and prejudice are alike broken down, and he is given both understanding and a taste of spiritual realities. Put it another way. For the believer, um, the mark of this understanding is that Scripture now appears coherent. To the man enlightened by the Spirit, Scripture is no longer a bewildering, bewildering jumble of isolated items, as it may well have been may have seemed to him before, but under the benefit of this assistance, all the parts of the Scriptures in their harmony and correspondency, all the truths of it and their power and necessity come in together to give evidence one to another and all of them to the whole. Part, chime, part chimes in with part. Scripture message with, message with Scripture and the unified bearing of the whole Bible becomes apparent. So God is using... His Spirit to reveal the truths of His Word, to give us a taste of who He is. Uh, So He's establishing our faith in Scripture. So we don't believe Scripture is going to save us per se, but we need to know that what God's saying to us is true. Um, So the Holy Ghost has enlightened our minds, wrought faith in us, and enabled us to believe it. So the Spirit and the Word are always at work. Um, The Apostles' precedence was to teach the divine message, um, not through rational arguments, but by preaching the Word by the Spirit. So preach the Word, and the Spirit will work what He wants to accomplish in the hearts of the hearers. That was the goal of the Apostles, and it was the motivating a goal of the Puritans as well. Number five, the interpreting of the Scriptures. So then, so how does God use um, 
the Spirit and the Word to communicate Himself. Next is the interpreting of the Scriptures. For the Puritans, the primary point is that the Scriptures are clear. Um, they are... Perps, I don't even try to say it. Thank you. Every Christian can learn all that he needs from the Bible for life and godliness. There's not this mystical, mysterious understanding of the Bible. And that would have been the argument from Rome at this time. Uh, they would have said, you need the church to inform the people of what the right interpretation is. Uh, but uh, the Puritans and the Reformers are saying, no, within the, um, the Bible itself, understanding of who God is, what salvation is, what man's responsibility is, what God does is clear in the Scriptures. Um, so the main means of grace to the believer um, it, from the Bible are several things. One, um, the faithful preaching of God's Word. Two, the consistent reading of God's Word. And three, and I love this, is the community of the saints. So the, the, the idea that as we unite together in fellowship as a church body, we're all sitting under the authority of the preaching of God's Word and the teaching of God's Word. Um, we all, I'm guessing, desire to grow in Bible study and reading so we can know God better. And then the amazing thing is we get the opportunity to share that with each other. Like-minded people. So the Puritans saw the local congregation and its emphasis on God's Word as fuel for conversations is important. So, that means that um, your brothers and sisters in Christ who you're talking to today about the Scriptures are helping you to interpret the Scriptures. We're working together. That's the one and others. And that was the idea the Puritans were trying to set in their churches. Um, people are obviously still dependent on the Spirit to give understanding. Um, and Christians should come to study the Scriptures in humble prayer. Come to the Scripture. The, the Puritans would say, come to the Scriptures prayerfully, asking God to reveal Himself. Lord, give light to these words that I'm reading on this page. Um, so there's a humility in which you come to the Scriptures as you hear God speaking. Um, and God's Word is clear. So God uses His Spirit as we study and read His Word to communicate health for our soul. So our soul is encouraged as we read God's Word, and His Spirit is, in, is at work in that. Okay? That's, that, is, that is the idea. The Spirit and the Word are at work. So you hear Dan say that all the time, right? The Spirit and the Word, the Spirit and the Word. The Puritans love that phrase. They love to say it's by the Spirit and by the Word, okay? Not one against the other in unison, working together uh, to change people. Okay, so all that was stolen from John Owen. Also in John, the, the chap, this book I'm reading, or that I'm using as my primary resource, I told you the first week, is A Quest for Godliness by J.I. Packer. And he has a whole chapter on this. I tried to condense it into 15 minutes. His next chapter is the Puritans as interpreters of Scripture. And what I want to do here is just kind of give you these uh, statements that he concluded from his study of the Puritans. And 
um, help you to have a better understanding of maybe for you to interpret the Bible as you're reading it. Um, and some of this will sound very familiar to you because it's um, consistent evangelical Protestant methodology, uh, especially of the reform context of how to interpret the Bible. Uh, first, we should interpret the Bible literally and grammatically. So I've given you some blanks, and I have strategically given you the most difficult words to spell. So if you know how to spell grammatically, congratulations. Um, this is the idea of context being king. So you guys have been around here for a while. It's one thing we've talked about. Um, get an idea of what's going on in the general context. Um, that's the grammar part of things. What, is, what do the words mean? What do they say? Um, this is a continuation of what the Reformers said over and against what the Roman Catholic view of the Bible was. There's a really complex view um, of what's going on in the Scriptures according to the Roman Catholic Church. I won't get into that right now. Uh, so secondly, interpret the Bible consistently and harmonistically. I gave you the easy word that time. Use the Scriptures to help inform the meaning of passages. Um, use, so when you come to a complicated text in the Scriptures, use other scriptures to bear on that scripture. So use the scriptures to interpret themselves. Third, interpret the Bible doctrinally and theocentrically. Uh, just remember, the scripture's main goal is to teach us about God. So theocentric, God-centric, um, he's the center of the universe, not man. That might be a message for our day. Um, so when we come and when we come to the scriptures, the primary goal isn't just to apply it to our life. There is application in the scriptures, and the Puritans love application. Um, however, it's the primary focus is to teach us about God. Um, he's the center of the universe, not man. This is the idea of God-centeredness. So a God-centered view of the Bible. Fourthly, you should come to the Scriptures when you interpret them, Christologically and evangelically. Um, Christologically, Christ-o-logically, that's how you spell it. <clears throat> All Scripture is written to bear witness to Him. Jesus is the sum, according to Owen, of the whole Bible, prophesied, typified, prefigured, exhibited, demonstrated to be found in every leaf, almost in every line, the Scriptures being but, as it were, the swaddling bands of the child Jesus. So, it's the gift the Scriptures are revealing Jesus to us. We should identify those things. Fifthly, experimentally and practically, The Puritans explored the depth of the Scriptures and how it relates to the human experience. So, yes, God-centered, but it does affect us, and there is application there. This is the first time I've mentioned Pilgrim's Progress, <laughs> third week of the Puritans. Um, and Bunyan, in the Pilgrim's Progress, goes at great lengths to express uh, the various experiences that Christian um, has in life, and there's answers for these in the Scriptures. Um, 
in Pilgrim's Progress, he, some of the things he mentions are faith, doubt, temptation, hope, despair, fear, joy, spiritual desertion, and attacks of Satan. So each of those experiences impact him, and God's Word speaks to those things um, in our lives, in our joys, in our sufferings. The Puritans uh, are people identified by losses and crosses and pains and strains, I heard one theologian say. It was good. Losses and crosses. And you think about that in the context of the Puritans trying to reform uh, the Church of England. They weren't successful, but what they were successful at was uh, faithfully preaching uh, God's Word and being dependent upon the Spirit to change people within their local congregations. Um, Lastly, and for those of you that are grammar nerds like me, this is not parallel. Number six, because everything else was an L-Y, and this one is not. Number six is with faithful and realistic application. So when the Puritans applied God's Word, so they'd get to a point of the sermon, and they would say, hey, here's the time for the application, right? Or as they went along, they did that. They called that uses. So what use of is that doctrine, or what use is that teaching to me today? It's kind of interesting, right? So they just say, what are the uses of this? That was their application. When doctrine, doctrine for them, when properly taught, is also properly applied. Um, proper interpretation and understanding of doctrine should result in action. And for the preachers, it was important as they interpreted the Scriptures that they knew the hearts and minds of people. So not only were the Puritans students of God's Word primarily, secondarily they were also students of people, knowing who they were preaching to and how that impacted them. So it's an aspect of knowing the hearts and minds of men that was necessary. So those are some ways that the Puritans approached the Scriptures when they interpreted it. I did take this um, from the next part, the six questions to ask each passage of Scripture, straight from Packer, based on his study of the Puritans. Just These are some questions you can use for yourself, some uses, perhaps. Um, these are questions you can ask when you come to the Scriptures. What do these words actually mean? What light do other Scriptures throw on this text? Where and how does it fit into the total biblical revelation? biblical theology. What truths does it teach about God and about man in relation to God? How are these truths related to the saving work of Christ, and what light does the gospel of Christ throw upon them? What experiences do these truths delineate or explain or seek to create or cure? For what practical purpose do they stand in Scripture? And then lastly, how do they apply to myself and others in our own actual situation? To what present human condition do they speak, and what are they telling us to believe and do? Um, I'm guessing some of those questions you guys already use when you're reading the Scriptures, perhaps journaling um, and talking about dialoguing with God's Word. That's helpful, and I found it helpful as a tool. Um, Like I said, those are my two main points for the day, and I, I I wanted you to see though how some of this is fleshed out in the statement of faith that the Puritans wrote, which is the Westminster Confession of Faith, you can actually see a lot of these topics about God's Word 
here. There's about 12 statements within the Westminster Confession of Faith regarding the Bible. And I didn't want to read all of them to you, nor did I have enough paper to print it all. I wanted to fit this all right here. But I would recommend that to you. Read the first section of the Westminster Confession of Faith, because that's going to give you the systematic theology um, around how the Puritans, what they believed about God's Word um, primarily. So let's read these together out loud, though. I have some time. You'll see how um, the Spirit and the Word interplay within this understanding of Scripture. Verse, uh, section 1 of the Westminster Confession of Faith should be on page 3 of your handout. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of His will which is necessary unto salvation. So general revelation is not enough. That first half of Roman of Psalm 19 that I didn't read. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same holy unto writing, which maketh the holy scriptures to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. And then, if you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, it lists out the books of the Bible, in case there's any question, which are the books of the Bible? That was important to know, and it lists it out right there. It says, this is, these are the books that God's word has authenticated within its witness of itself as being God's Word. So you can see some of the themes that we talked about there. Number five I thought was helpful too. This is talking about, um, let's just read it. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture in the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other, other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. So it might be helpful that the church has all these things, but the ultimate thing is the last part right here. Um, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority is from the inward work of the Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. So the Word and the Spirit at work. And then number 10... The supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined in all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scripture. I have nothing else to add. It's just the... the, the but I'm going to add something, I guess? No. <laughs> But the, the emphasis on the Spirit and the Word working together 
is key to a biblical understanding of God's Word, which the Puritans help us with, and that's what they're doing here. Um, one topic, I, I think I mentioned this, that is involved in this section of Packer's book is the Puritan conscience. So how does conscience play into that? Uh, the only thing I'll say about that, and we'll get to it again, is the conscience is fueled by the Spirit and God's Word. We don't have a conscience separate from those things as believers. So part of our being a new creation in Christ is that uh, we are empowered by the Spirit, and then we see the Word differently as well, and that impacts our conscience. Um, and that's important for the Puritans just historically as they're making decisions uh, to what degree do we submit to the authorities? To what degree do we uh, continue to stay within the Church of England or do we break away? And ultimately in 1662, 82, okay, remember, we'll, we'll figure that out. Ultimately, significant numbers of them decide to leave the Church of England because they can't worship in good conscience. And early on in the 1600s, many leave um, the Church of England and go to Holland and then eventually to America and to form uh, the, the colony at Plymouth. So there's that aspect of it too, that conscience is guiding uh, the, the believer as well as it's informed by the Spirit and by the Word, okay? I touched on conscience, but there's chapters and chapters and chapters on conscience, and there's volumes and volumes and volumes on all of this, so I would suggest that you read them for yourself as well. Um, I hope, that's one of the things I hope, and towards the end of this, I'm going to give you a suggested Puritan reading list that would help you maybe engage with the Puritans directly, and maybe I will engage with them as well, and we can talk about those things, okay? Let's pray, and then we'll go to the worship service. Oh, I'll have announcements too. Uh, let's pray. Father, we praise you for the work that you've done um, by the power of your Spirit and through your Word. Lord, to change us. So, Lord, that is the method you use to save us. And, Lord, it is also how you are sanctifying us. Um, Lord, I praise you for uh, these people that you have brought um, together here at Calvary Bible Church. I praise you, Lord, for um, our desire to grow in godliness and faithfulness to you. And I would ask, Lord, that you would help us um, to engage each other with the truths of your word and to encourage each other. In Christ's name I pray, amen.